Hey, what's up? It's me, David, host of the First Four Years podcast. Carving out your own path as a creative professional or an entrepreneur is not just a simple to follow process. It's an unfolding journey of self-discovery, learning, and development. So think of this podcast as a journal of that process, what it's really like in the early phase of starting out and building your own path as a creative today. And if you're coming with me on that journey, let's take that next step forward. Welcome to the first four years. Hey, hey, welcome back. Today is a slightly different type of episode. Uh, The tables are being turned and actually I'm going to be interviewed by my good friend Jay, who I interviewed on a previous episode. Jay, why don't you say hello? Hello, good to be back. Hey, uh, yeah, this time we're not in the same city, um, but I've had some people reach out over email and They've sort of just posed the question to me or started pointing out that they want to hear a bit more about uh, my story and some of the work that I've been doing with Death the Stock uh, right now, but also in the past. And so we thought this would be a fun way to get some of those stories out. And I actually don't know everything that Jay's going to ask me about. He's prepared some, some questions and thoughts. So I'm going to turn it over to Jay now, who is going to interview me for this episode of the first four years. Oh, real quick, by the way, Jay actually helped produce this podcast. So I'm just going to say thank you real quick to Jay because he was a critical part of uh, getting this thing off the ground. So with that said, I'll turn it over to you now. Uh, Welcome, Jay. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Yeah, I'm super excited about this. Obviously, since since I've been uh, involved since the beginning here and listened to every episode, um, you're a humble guy, and I know that sometimes you you don't default to telling all of your own stories, so I, I hope this is a way that we can get some of that wisdom and uh, experience and perspective out of you. So, uh, treating this like a normal podcast episode, I'm here with David Sherry, founder of Death to the Stock Photo, host of the first four years podcast. We met at uh, The Ohio State University a few years ago when we were um, going through college and the entrepreneurship organization. But David, you've, you've done an episode in the past where you talked about um, your elevator pitch being an opportunity to say, okay, this person wants to learn a little bit about me and they want uh, to know what I do and it should be a positive. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and say, what do you do? Yeah, totally. Uh, I, I should have this rehearsed by now. So the way I would describe what I do is I hire artists, videographers, and photographers from around the globe to create compelling, unique media for studios, designers, agencies to use in their work to stand out. So if you're an artist, uh, I help produce work with you to uh, sell to our clients. And if you are a studio, an agency, or a freelancer looking to stand out with unique media, you can pay $15 a month for my service. And every single month, you'll get two new sets of media, both photo and video, to uh, elevate your brand aesthetic. Hopefully, that, like that. was an okay uh, pitch there. Yeah. And what's interesting is at the beginning of that, um, you didn't you didn't say death to stock in the name of that. You talked about what you do. Can you talk about any delineation you see there, or was that just uh, sort of by coincidence? 
Sure. I'd say that's by coincidence. I think I would point out um, death to the stock photo specifically uh, if somebody was in the space, like if they know about stock photography, if they know about uh, kind of photo video. And I think the name is kind of a nice touch at the end because it kind of just is a great way of positioning our brand. So I think if it's just a one-on-one conversation with someone new and I'm not totally sure about their background, I would just pitch like what I what I do, I hire artists, who I help, I help these agencies and studios. How do I help them? I help them by um, providing them with unique media. If you're an artist, I could potentially hire you. If you're an agency, I could potentially give you unique media. Now the death of the stock part is like the fun icing like, by the way, this is how we're positioned. This is what I'm about. This is my opinion. And usually people kind of get a good laugh out of that. Like if they know stock photography, they're like, oh, death to the stock photo. Like that's pretty intense, but I totally get it. Um, so it is a, that's a great question though. Um, and something I've been thinking about a lot, which is uh, now since we're a small company, is it me? Is it death to stock as a brand? Like it is kind of hard sometimes to choose whether I should be saying I or we, but for somebody new, it's, it's a one-on-one conversation. So it should be me. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. And that's, you know, through this whole interview, I want to pull out stuff like that, where obviously you're still actively discovering things about your business and about the way you position yourself, uh, you know, four years into this thing. Oh, totally. Within the last month, I think our growth patterns happen in stair steps. So uh, you're working on something, you're working on something, you're sort of just going flat, like it's it's more of like a plateau, and then suddenly you jump up a step. I feel like the last month I have jumped up a step, and every time that happens, your perspective changes. And usually it's actually a very small tweak, but that small tweak changes like everything about the way you view your business. So 100% I'm still learning everything I think about now at some point in the future will shift again and I'll look at everything completely differently. In serving artists and creatives as you as you just talked about, what gets you excited about that? What what is exciting for you about serving that audience in particular? There's a huge opportunity for everybody right now who is the type of person who listens to this podcast to create a platform for themselves, which will bring them so many amazing opportunities, potentially an income, uh, serendipitous serendipitous relationships with new people. It's almost like it's crazy to not be launching your own project. Uh, It doesn't need to be a business. It could just be a blog. It could just be something you do locally in your neighborhood. But what gets me excited is that opportunity and that it's so readily available for everybody out there. And so uh, what I talk about and how I think about what I do is this idea of creative caffeine, which is like, if I can be this creative caffeine hit that helps you start that journey of launching something yourself uh, or continue to be encouraged along that journey, that's what I wanna help people do. And so, yeah, to me it's exciting because like it's limitless opportunity. You can put out a podcast. You can start an email list and then four years later, you could have interacted with people from all over the globe. Um, you could work with dozens of new artists you never would have met before. You can talk to people that you previously thought you'd never be able to reach. Like I just think there's huge opportunity for everybody to share their unique voice in a way that adds value and also gives them this huge return of uh, creating a platform that can just build 
amazing benefits for their life. And that's obviously relatively new in the past, what, couple of decades, that type of democratization of that. But what would you say to the people who, who are thinking, well, there's a ton of bloggers out there, there's a ton of podcasters, a ton of this, ton of that, is what if I miss the boat? Oh man, you have not missed the boat. There are 7 billion people out there who are coming online and everybody has their own unique perspective to share. Everybody has their unique thing that they can bring to the world. Um, and so I just feel like if you were to look at the world in the in terms of like opportunities, it's just, there's no question that there's infinite more opportunities than there are solutions that are already out there. So I think it is becoming easier for people to start and that's why there's it feels like there's a lot of noise out there this this conversation happens all the time in the photography world um so i think maybe this is a good example to go down so uh when i started death of the stock photo instagram was just starting like it was actually pretty new at that time it wasn't even on android and now we kind of think like oh man everybody's a photographer everybody's got an iphone or a camera phone so like what's the use in trying to be a photographer but what I tell people is if you look at the demand, every company on the planet needs to fill their Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter, Tumblr, Pinterest. Like they need so much media. Anytime they have an event, it needs to be covered with photos. Like the demand and the interest uh, for quality photography has increased as much, if not more, than the supply. Um, and so I would I would look at the the demand side and instead of looking at the supply side. And I think that's the problem people have when they feel like they miss the boat is they feel like there's an oversupply of people doing uh, what they are sort of doing. But the reality is you have a unique way that you can bring that art to the world. And I just think the demand's there. And maybe tying another example of that, this podcast is a new project for you. This is a new medium for you to share your message. And before you started this, I'm sure you did some sort of research to look at the opportunity and why you thought it was a, a platform that was good for you to get into right now. Can you talk a little bit about what that process was like for you and why you ultimately decided to go ahead and produce a podcast? Yeah. Asking the question, how do you decide when to start a project is I think a great uh, question and I try to ask that to a lot of entrepreneurs that that I look at whose work I like. But again, going back to the demand side, only thirty percent of people in the U.S. have uh, listened to a podcast before. Like, there's still huge growth in this market. Um, if you look at email, which is I, I started basically an email-based company a few years ago. Email looked like it was dead. <laughs> like email was it was not like the hip network. But look at what it is today. Every uh, not every, but many major bloggers and online entrepreneurs will say that email is sort of the key to their business. Paul Jarvis, who's a friend of mine, says that basically 90%, if not more, of his revenue comes directly from his email list. And so I think there is an element of sort of spotting that while the general public might not see a ton of value, if you look a little deeper, there's still a lot of growth opportunities uh, in, in various platforms. And so looking at how, many, how few people actually listen to podcasts today, that makes me feel like this is potentially a platform that's going to continue to grow. Um, it may not even hit its stride for another five, 10 years. So for that reason, it was interesting. Uh, another reason it was interesting to me. So there's, there's like the demand side again, which is like, I think this platform will keep growing. Okay. That's, 
that's interesting. Maybe I should look into this. Uh, the second thing is, what is this platform able to uh, provide me with? Well, even if I never get paid a dime, I get to have conversations with potential guests, which is just interesting, and maybe I can meet some great people. I get to explore my ideas out in the open through voice, which is very different than writing. So I can I can grow my own skill set of sort of like public speaking or describing uh, ideas or what it is that I do. And then three, it's like, how can voice and a podcast provide value differently than my writing, than my emails do? And to me, that's where I came up with the idea of the first four years, which is I've seen a lot of uh, products out there in the market, I guess, or other podcasts or blogs that really focus on those who are already super successful. So there's a there's a popular podcast called How I Built This, and it's a great show. Um, it, it covers people like uh, the founders of Airbnb, who are now you know billionaires, essentially. But I felt like there was an opportunity to hit a little different niche kind of in the market, which is not those at the top, but instead those at the very beginning of starting out with their projects. And so, yeah, I guess I felt like there was this, there's something there that's not being provided. I feel like I'm the person who can provide it, being that I'm only four years into my career. So that's the math for starting the the podcast is one this is a growing market and i think it in five years from now it's going to be way bigger than it is now uh two i'm going to i'm going to get a lot of benefit from speaking to people and growing a new skill set of mine um, and three i actually feel like i have an opportunity to provide more value than uh some other shows out there or provide value in my own way um in a way that's um not readily available for people just yet. So that's like, that was a potent combination of interest, I suppose, for why I should start. And can you detail a little bit more the order of operations for which that happened? Did you say, oh, I think podcasting is a good medium. I'm going to come up with something that I can talk about as a podcast. Or did you have the idea for, I want to share this message and I'm going to explore different ways to do that? Yeah, uh, great question. The order that I listed them out in was probably the opposite of the the correct order of operations for me. So I think first it's saying uh, I have this concept that I believe will add value in a way that other people um, are not easily accessing right now. And so um, I think it was sort of the idea of the first four years and even the name was sort of the first step, which is like, this is something I feel like people would get benefit in that's not out there. Then the second piece is, and this is a Jerry Seinfeld quote, but the medium is the message. Uh, he talks a lot about how uh, creating a show, comedians in cars getting coffee, um, and some of the other work he's done, he's like, the medium for which it lives in is ultra important. And so matching your concept with the right packaging or the right distribution channel, which that could be a blog, an email list, a podcast, you know, a webinar series, a video series, those are all very different kind of packaging. And so first it was the concept and it was like the first four years, I think people need this. Then it was like, what's the best packaging and distribution channel that this can go through? And that to me was a podcast because it was like, I wanna be able to relate to people and with just a voice, I feel like I can really relate to people in a recurring way. And then you kind of look at like the trends and stuff like that, you know, like what podcast system are you on iTunes, are you on Lisbon, like what's the market like? 
So it was the reverse order of how I mentioned it. Um, but yeah, I think start with how you can add value, figure out the right medium, um, which for death the stock, if we didn't start by email, death the stock maybe never would have worked. Like email was the right distribution choice and the right packaging. And then three, look at the opportunity. I want to dig in a little bit more to the beginning of death stock, but right before I get there, one last question on this point, sort of historically, you haven't been the front facing sort of brand of death, the stock death, the stock is the brand and you are driving it. You're behind the scenes as the founder. The first four years, this podcast is very much, you're, you're much more at the forefront. It's your voice. It's your perspective. You're sharing with these people directly. What has that difference been like to you? How have you experienced being more of the the face and the voice of this project versus Death to Stock? It this might be a weird way of talking about this, but I kind of just realized this like actually this morning it, it came together a little bit more for me, um, which is that connecting to a human versus connecting to a brand is actually a feature of your product. Just like you have other features, I think one possible feature is connecting directly with somebody uh, who's an actual person and potentially entering into a dialogue with them instead of entering a brand or entering entering into a dialogue with a brand. So, I guess to me, it, there's a conscious choice of do I want to encourage direct communication person to person as kind of like a feature of this product. And so if you look at the product of the first four years, a huge key feature is me, right? Like it is almost the premise that I wanna connect with you personally. I wanna share my own stories from the past and from what's happening right now. And so without that feature, the product doesn't work. Um, and so I sometimes it is hard to kind of decide whether or not your product or your brand should have that additional feature or not. For the first four years, it was the the key feature. Like without that, the product doesn't work. For Death the Stock, being that it's movement-based and more of like a mission statement and an, and an idea we're trying to push forward, the feature of David Sherry doesn't need to be as present, although I feel like I'm starting to integrate that more as well. Um, does that make sense? I, I actually would just want to ask you, because I've just been kind of pondering this, how I'm describing that. It makes sense to me, and this is something I've been uh, riffing off of a lot lately too, just the idea that every individual is a product, right? And so even if you look at just yourself as the product, still a feature of that is what level of accessibility you grant um, in terms of communication. So it makes sense to me. Um, that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, and so you can just kind of like ask yourself with this product, do my customers really want the feature of me being there if i'm using dropbox honestly i don't want the feature of that founder <laughs> like being there um or uber or whatever like i'm not trying to get like a personal text from the ceo of uber like when i'm i'm i don't know just riding and stuff like that so it definitely varies product to product i think you just want to understand is it a core comp i mean yeah how core is this to the experience and so for the podcast it is critical without the Without that feature, it's a totally different show. For the Death of Stock brand, um, there's some debates to be had there and some choices to make. What's also thought to be really interesting about that, and this is the reason why I'm interviewing you and the reason why you need to be interviewed because you're so humble, uh, there was no hint of vanity in that response as it comes to the podcast. Like You could have said, 
well, I wanted to create an audience around myself or I wanted to build a personal platform, but it was very much, I'm creating this product. The product is the first four years. And as a feature that I think people wanted that product, I am communicating through my voice. Well, thank you. And I'd say the best feedback I've gotten and like what made me really happy after starting the show, um, because it, it always feels like a big risk. Like you start a show like this and maybe it's my personality, but yeah, I think I've worried about like, do I talk about myself a lot here? And like, I don't want to like promote too much, but one of the best bits of feedback I got was somebody reaching out and just saying, this is so relatable. And I feel like most of what I read and listen to just isn't relatable. And I think that connected the the reasoning behind the feature of me being uh, present in the podcast um, to like the product actually going well for that person. So I felt really good about that. Um, but I appreciate that, that sentiment. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hard. I, I want to take us down another, I know you're interview, interviewing me here, but I want to take us into <laughs> another little like tangent that I've been thinking about, which is, and I struggle with this and the comment you just made the gracious comment. Um, I feel like this is actually still a struggle of mine a little bit in terms of one, when to self-promote. Like, I think it's hard. I, I think people probably fall on two ends of the spectrum here. Like some people self-promote way too much and it's annoying. And uh, so other people just don't self-promote at all. And there's probably a downside to that. I probably fit in that category. Um, but the second piece here is, do I make art for myself or do I make art for other people? And that's something I struggle with a lot because I have all these ideas where I'm just like, this is so interesting and cool. I just want to make this. But then there's the other pull of like, is that just selfish? Does anybody care? Like, why should I just make something just because I think it's interesting? And I don't know the right answer there. Like I, there's authors who will say, only write what you think is interesting. And then if people love it, that's great. Um, and then other people say like, only make stuff that people want. Yeah. I don't know. That's a really hard, I, I'm, I don't know the answer there. Uh, no, I, I'm with you. You know, we, we've talked about this a little bit in my world. I'm in a place where it's like, once my needs are taken care of, how much of the space that I'm affording myself should I use to just indulge in my own personal interests? <laughs> I, there's a huge component there and, and we can, we could get off this tangent soon, but I'm glad you brought that up because it's so true. Once you've found some success, you feel more latitude to do stuff that's only interesting and it's almost like that's actually the wrong time to do that because your market's starting to shift after you find success. And, and in that way, you actually want to be more responsive to feedback and the needs of your community. Totally, it changes. Like once you're, it's like we see this with actors, right? Like an actor gets massive. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe, okay, he does Harry Potter becomes a billionaire or however much money he makes. And then he does that weird play where he gets naked and like rides a horse. And it's cause like, yeah, you just want it. Like that was super interesting to Daniel Radcliffe. Do all the Harry Potter fans want to know about that? No, they block that out of their memories. <laughs> like, so the question Man, is, hope, yeah. yeah, the question is, do you be Harry Potter or not? Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is a billionaire from the Harry Potter movies. This is, what a world. <laughs> what a world to live in. Okay, so uh, let's, let's, I know I took us down a weird yeah, path, so let me hand reeling, it back to you. Reeling it back, uh, you, did a, you did a podcast episode where you were interviewed um, with some friends of ours on the Wonder Jam cast. 
And something that I really enjoy about that interview that I think is important and worth talking about here is the difference you draw between projects and businesses. And so far in this interview, we've even talked a lot in terms of projects. You mentioned Death the Stock one time as a business now, but historically I know you've sort of advocated for starting things as projects. Could you riff on that a little bit? Yeah, so I'll take this uh, in two different steps. I think first, the reason for talking about projects and specifically mentioning the word project on the first four years as a podcast is because not everybody needs to start a business and not everybody needs to uh, yeah, be an entrepreneur to still get a lot of benefit. So I think for the listeners out there, I don't want to just say like you should start a company, you should have a startup, you should raise money because even if every weekend once you know, once a Saturday a month or something like that, you ran a project in your community, you can still get a ton of benefit out of that. Um, and it's still worth doing. Now, for myself, when I think about my own work, for some reason, I sort of, well, one, I don't know if I'm an entrepreneur in kind of the traditional sense, which is like, I'm trying to just scale my team and, uh, always like quit the work I'm doing so that someone else can like take it over. Like that's not necessarily the role that I feel like I most comfortably fill. So I tend to think about my work more in projects. Um, And so whether it's like campaigns I'm running or new ideas I'm testing, it feels more to me personally as I'm like pushing this giant like raft forward that is death the stock and all the extensions of that. It sort of feels like it's like push a project forward, push another project forward, um, rather than like build uh, this business where I'm hiring other people to take things over. So every leap that grows the brand um, or grows my own abilities tends to happen in like a finite project that might not work. So yeah, I don't know. I guess the the whole project thing is just, it's for whatever reason, more of how I think about my work. Um, Yeah, so I don't know if that makes sense. So in terms of in terms of like stress or pressure or freedom, does that word have some implication on your relationship to the project? I think there's a positive relationship, which is you're always doing something new. Like if you're going to grow, you have to do something new. If you do something new, it might not work. Uh, that's like the definition, like you're doing something new, therefore you don't know how to do it. And so maybe it is a positive connotation in the sense that like it it lets me see it for what it is, which is like, hey, you're starting this podcast, it's very possible that it bombs um, because you've never done a podcast before. And so, yeah, maybe it alleviates that, but probably in a positive way. The negative way it uh, it would be used is when you're actually trying to build more of like this traditional company where you're, you're trying to hire a lot of people, you're trying to scale very quickly, not the time to think about your, your company as a project. Like if you're paying all these different people's salaries and they're, you're like on the hook for their livelihood, uh, project's a tough thing to sort of keep working on. But we're a team of two plus many contractors, so it's sort of different. Mm-hmm. What were some of the projects that you played around with before starting Death to Stock? Tons and there's tons since starting Death of Stock. Uh, I had a bunch of dumb ideas for, for businesses. You probably saw a lot of them. Um, I don't think we mentioned this yet, but uh, you know, we met in college and we were in a, a business club together. And the premise of that club was 
try to start a company in college. And that means you go through a lot of really bad ideas. Um, I'll talk about three. Dumb idea in college, which was a project, was I really wanted to bring interesting and critical news about startups in Columbus to the world. And so I had this site, columbusstartups.com. It was like going to be you know, new age media and journalism for startups in Columbus. It probably didn't even progress past landing page because when you're just like learning and you're starting, stuff takes you a really long time. Like I probably spent like whatever, three months on the landing page and then like two months on the logo. And it's just like absurd how much time you waste. Another project I had that I thought was actually really cool was I tried to create a bike lock that fits in your pocket because most people when they're riding their bikes, they have this U-lock that either sits on their like front fork or they put it around their neck or they put it around their, like, their shoulder. Totally sucks. Um, I tried to invent it. I tried to raise money. I got second in a pitch competition um, that I think I was gonna get like $20,000 in. So I didn't get it and I abandoned it. Still a good idea. That was a good idea. Most of them have been bad. Um, but let me <laughs> let me bring us to the big project that the failure of which helped me start Death of the Stock Photo. So I graduate college, I'm freelancing, which was basically me just like doing anything I could to make money. Photography, writing, marketing, help for startups. And I decide that I'm gonna do this big project, which is I'm gonna be the content provider for one company um, over a long period of time. So like I'm gonna be a photographer for a company for like six to 12 months, and I'm just gonna constantly produce new photos for them to use in their social channels. And the way I was gonna do that is I was gonna travel around the country and like just like drive around in a van or something like that and just keep producing new photos, keep uh, meeting with their customers and doing photos of them, just so one brand could have like a huge library of media. And that was my idea I was gonna do with my friend Kelly. Um, we were gonna travel around. I pitched companies in Columbus. I pitched companies in the West Coast. One in particular was Jenny's Ice Cream, which is like this great artisanal ice cream brand. And I'm talking to the CEO of like this huge company and I'm trying to tell him why he should pay me, I think it was like $10,000 or something for the next six months to just drive around and take photos so that they always had great media. And basically fell flat, did, got rejected, did not uh, want to fund such an endeavor. And that failure, which sucked, and you know, I, I don't remember what I did for the next two, two weeks, two months, I probably just was like bummed out and whatever. Um, that made me realize that, oh, hey, not only does one brand have the issue of needing high quality photography, but all of my friends who are freelancers, designers, uh, developers, they all need photography too. So what if instead of just producing for one brand, I uh, go produce for many? And that's how Death of Stock was born. Can you talk a little bit about when you got that news back and you were rejected and you say that sucked? Like, tell me more about how it sucked. Yes. So the news wasn't even just getting it back later because they did email me, I don't even know, a week, two weeks later. It was like real time. <laughs> like you're pitching people, you have never done it before. Um, I was pretty nervous for sure. Uh, they had, not only was it the CEO, who's a pretty serious character actually, very fun brand, uh, great company, um, pitching the CEO, but it's also like their creative director, their marketing team. This guy I know in Columbus who I like was semi friends with 
through uh, people I knew. Like you're putting yourself on the line when you do something like that. And you sort of feel like you're a crazy person um, when you're pitching because yeah, halfway through the pitch, you're just like, what the hell am I even like talking about here? So I think there's like a lot of pain in, um, there's some excitement in creating it. And then the minute it makes contact with somebody who's a decision maker, it starts getting painful very quickly. Um, it's easy to create in a vacuum. It's easy to like write up a PDF and be like, this is fun and interesting. It's very hard to walk through the door and pitch six to eight people, um, putting your credibility on the line. I actually got an intro from a mutual friend of our Nate, mutual friend of ours, Nate DeMars. So I had an intro from somebody like you, you, there's all types of ways you're on the hook there. So the pain I think is when you engage with a potential customer, somebody you're pitching. um, And then if it doesn't work, there is pain at that point. I actually have found it's become easier to hear the rejection, still just as hard to make the pitch. How did you feel going into that pitch? Did you feel confident? No, no. Uh, you feel nervous. Like you're, I'm sitting in their little office and they've got like, they're like, do you want water? Do you want tea? And you're just like super nervous. You're like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and just like sweat for a second and like <laughs> try to like, you know, and then you walk in the room and, um, you, you know, I mean, you're out of college. I don't know. Like you just don't, you're just not that aware and like smart, honestly, at that point. Um, because like I didn't understand and this is why I got rejected like I'm glad like they should not have funded my project like at that point I was uh, I don't want to say arrogantly but like you sort of uh, assume that you really understand these companies but you don't like I didn't know how they have this complex marketing team with the creative director and all these people they work with that they already had all these initiatives going on that like there's a content calendar and I have to fit within that and so um yeah, you're kind of blissfully ignorant, but you're also stressed. And um, yeah, it's just scary to pitch. So I don't know how else to describe it, except for I'm just sweating a lot and like uh, yeah. having a hard time starting the pitch. And like my voice is probably like cracking. And there was one sweet lady who like worked there who was like quirky. She had the crazy glasses. And I remember she was just like smiling and like nodding and like trying to like tell me like subconsciously be like, it's okay. Keep pitching. Like you're fine. Um, and everyone else is like, you know, just asking like rapid fire questions like well how's the budget gonna work like this and blah 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 and you're just like oh i don't know i don't know any of this so they shouldn't have they shouldn't have funded my thing i i I don't blame them at all i didn't even have a relationship with the company like that's another thing that you're blissfully ignorant about you're like oh this one company is just gonna like pay me to do this thing and so here you are just fresh out of college and you're trying to make it go on your own and you have this concepts and you get the meeting and you go and you pitch, you're nervous, you pitch, you get the feedback that you weren't hoping for, but that was like, that was it. That's what you wanted to do. What was the immediate aftermath? Like, how did you feel? What did you think about the next steps? What, what were you doing then? I think I pumped the brakes on the idea. One thing I definitely maybe naturally have always done is like you you only want you want to start rolling a ball and then if it goes downhill keep pursuing it and if it feels like it's going uphill too long just like quit because it's way more fun to work on something that's working than something that's not so um i think i was probably bummed it didn't work but also it wasn't like i just wanted to like keep pursuing it in the way i had been 
because there was enough feedback that it wasn't going to work. So the next step was, I think there's still merit to this kernel of an idea, but it's not in the shape that it's in, not in the packaging that it's in, not in the distribution channel that it's in. And so I think it was kind of like water, you know, flowing down a hill or something like that. It's like it gets stopped and then it needs to go a different direction and try again. Um, So step two was I started pitching companies for trade. I said, hey, send me some jeans in the mail and I'll take a bunch of photos and you'll get some media from it. It was just like, what if this idea works for trade? Um, And that actually worked. Uh, Me and my friend Allie, I remember Allie got like a bunch of uh, cosmetics for free because we just shot some photos of it. So we were like trading with brands. Um, And that was like going okay. And it was like, well, what if this works as an email list? Um, And we're just like supplying for people. So I don't know if I got enough into the pain there. Honestly, I don't remember so much, but I know that it was like, I'm not going to force something through that's not working. I'm going to try again from a different angle. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. I was trying to see how quickly you bounced back or if you had like a a, sort of a dark night of the soul that you had to sit and work through. Oh, there's been a lot of dark nights of the soul. I don't remember too much around that period. I mean, I remember doing the trade kind of component, which was probably Mm -hmm. fairly soon. That had to be within the next two months. I was already trying something new. Um, I think that's around the time I did a newspaper, like I was printing my own newspaper. Um, But um yeah, yeah, I think it was like roadblock, take a deep breath, maybe that's a week, maybe that's a month. What's the next option that I can pursue with this that isn't the same because I don't want to keep banging my head against the wall. Um, I want to hit it from a different angle now. And then um, there was the trade component and then it was depth of stock, which ended up being the ball that rolled downhill. So what do you attribute your your resiliency and ability to bounce back like that to? Because I know at the time you know, you're just getting started. It's not like you're flush with cash. You got to figure something else out. How did you will yourself forward and, and what what built that resiliency in you? Uh, lucky to be able to live with very low overhead. Um, so I think part of it was like, I didn't need to do that well. Like you're kind of like, and I feel like I hear this from a lot of people. Um, it's like, if I can only make like whatever, like 2000, 3000 a month, like that'd be amazing. Um, so I probably had a pretty low bar, um, for how things needed to go. And if you have like a low bar, it just feels more attainable. Um, so I guess like for whatever reason, it didn't feel that out of reach that I could make something work. Um, and that keeps you motivated. Cause you're like, I feel like this is within grasp. Like if I was trying to say to myself that I had to become a millionaire or something like that within a year, I just, I don't know. It's like almost too far out of range. Um, so yeah, I lived with really low overhead. That was a huge benefit had I not been able to live like that. Like if I had a family and stuff like that, I think it'd be much, much more difficult. Um, I guess I always knew I could get a job somewhere. Uh, so I think that helps too when you feel like you've got like this fallback. I definitely made a commitment at some point that I was going to try this path i don't remember even how for how long like three five years just feeling like if i do it for that long i feel like something will work so i guess what keeps you going is that you're like i don't need this to go that well for me to feel good and i feel like if i do this for three to five years i can make something work like i feel like i had enough confidence to say that um maybe ignorantly i felt like i or naively i've had enough confidence to do that Um, and then just being like, if worst comes to worst, I'll 
you know, get a job doing whatever, bartender, anything. And that won't be a happy thing for me to do, but I'll do it. Um, I think something that we probably both hear from entrepreneurs and artists a lot is sort of a antagonistic relationship to money, even knowing what your bar is, how much you need to make to stay alive. A lot of people have a very negative feeling with money. Um, how would you describe your relationship to money and the way you think about finances? So I guess the thing that, that comes to mind when you bring that up, and I'll try to talk directly about money, you can pull me back if I don't get there. Um, I guess kind of what it comes down to is like, and this is a Seth Godin thing, but like money is a story and to feel, to, to make forward progress and to stay resilient, you have to be able to like calm your own mind in a way that lets you act not from fear, but from feeling good and positive and like feeling like you can make things happen. And when you're concerned about money, it's difficult to get yourself in the right headspace to be able to like take positive steps that aren't just trying to like make a quick buck or something like that, which sometimes can hurt the long run ability of your, of your business. And it honestly doesn't help you think kind of the way you need to. And so I guess my relationship to money is I really have worked for like probably four years now to be able to hit kind of like the calm or reset button in my mind so that anytime that worry really starts coming up, like anytime it's like, oh man, how am I gonna like make this work? How am I gonna live? Like, how am I gonna make the next paycheck? I try to honestly like push that thought out and replace it with like, ah, like I can always, like I can figure this out. I'm not gonna like let that fear drive me. Instead, I'm just gonna feel like I have a huge bank account and work from that place. So I guess like the first thing is just like, you almost have to teach yourself to not have this fearful focus on it because that's how I'm, at least for me, that's how I'm going to operate best to actually make more money. It's almost like ironic. Um, yeah. How can I approach this in a more direct way? I, I'm trying to make sure I can hit that for people. Well, I think what I'm hearing in your response is you at least have a, uh, a feeling of like control and understanding of your financial situation. You're not hiding from it. You're not ignoring the role that it plays in your life yes but you can't let it drive you to fear and force you to act in that way and so yeah I, here's a great way of putting it be absolutely honest truthful and clear about where you're at and where you need to go but you can't let that like brutal honesty drive your action so like let's say for example i somehow got myself in like a hundred thousand dollars debt it's so easy. like your brain freaks out with that, right? Like if you're like majorly underwater with credit cards and stuff like that, like your brain is screaming, like figure this out. And like, it just can't stop. And I think that quicker you can return to this calmness of just like, that's a story. I'm telling myself that I'm a failure. That's a story. I'm telling myself that like X and Y and Z needs to happen. If I can like pause and just calm my own mind and like, say like, you know what, this is all, in a way, this is kind of made up stuff, <laughs> like just in society, like I'm only going to live one time, I'm going to be dead soon. Like if you can kind of like in your own way, compile that so that you can say like, yeah, I do have $100,000 debt. 
but I feel like I can confidently approach my work in a way today and this week and next month so that I will take active steps to bring that down and in fact, go the opposite way. I think at some point I'm gonna have $100,000 surplus in my bank account. Um, so I guess like it's, it's, it's very difficult to do, but you can't let it drive you to fear because that's when you're gonna make decisions that actually hurt your ability to either pay it down or grow in the long run. Cool, yeah. Through, through uh, I'm gonna get to some forward thinking stuff here yeah, shortly. Very but, difficult, uh, by the way, I just last caveat on that. Like this is, I feel like I've had to work on this a ton um, and it's not easy to do that. Through this, through this entrepreneurial journey that you've had, can you talk about the role of a support system that you either do have or wish that you had had starting out? Yeah, so uh, I'll give some quick credit. My parents' amazing support system, uh, my sister's amazing support system. I tell them very frequently without them, I could not be doing any of this. So incredibly lucky in that way. Um, when it comes to your friend group and your like general community, having people who understand what it's really like to be in it day to day as an entrepreneur, um, they understand what you're trying to get after, hugely valuable because otherwise you're getting, you have all your friends who are doing something completely different and they just won't understand you. And they're getting the quick hit benefit if they're at a company of like getting paid consistently and growing. And it will be very like, there's a big contrast between what you're doing and what they're doing. So Second component is like your friend group and your peer group who are, who understand what it is you're trying to do and can encourage you there. That's huge. Now the third component I've spent a lot of time with and I've invested a lot of money in, which is uh, mentors and coaches. And the reason they've been such an amazing support system for me is two things. The first thing is I thought I knew a lot of stuff and most of what I thought was wrong. And so like a lot of my coaching has been like, I thought the world worked like this. And they're like, no, actually it works like this. And then it takes a while and you're like, oh wow, how did I think it worked the other way? So um, the first thing is like, I've just changed my mind so many times and that's invaluable. So having great mentors, coaches, whether it's paid or unpaid or somebody who's wise to show you how much you're wrong about is amazing. Uh, second component there to coaches, mentors, um, people who are wise, who can help you out. They can keep you going because they also see the long run and they can see and watch your development. And so I've wanted to quit. I mean, on a micro level, quit death, the stock, like a billion times, um, on like a serious note where I'm like, I'm, you know, F this, like I'm done, which like, it makes me sad to even say that out loud because, it's such a great opportunity. It's so exciting. I love what I do, but those moments happen um, probably four or five times where I was like ready to just uh, hand it in. And that's when people who've watched your development can have that big kind of perspective and say like, you don't actually want to do that. I've seen you grow so much from last year to now, you know where you can take this thing. Like what if you just kept at it for a month? Um, so there's an encouragement factor and they keep you going. So that's friends community and coaches, mentors. Uh, that's amazing. And um, I hope you, I, I've told you this, I hope you do an episode sometime on falling in and out of love with your business because mm -hmm. it just is so natural and it happens. And you have a really good episode on 
finding mentors. So I won't ask you. I won't ask you how to go about finding mentors. Uh, I just encourage the listeners to listen to that episode. It's one of the first ones. Um, but I would like to hear if people don't have a family support system the way that you are lucky to have. What would you say to them? Yeah, and I um, I find that this is where the role of books and podcasts play a role. And honestly, hopefully, the first four years is a little bit in this way where it's like you can find other people to be your support, even if they never meet you. Like the amount of hours I've spent with books and podcasts and stories, it could be fiction, nonfiction. Um, I think if you if you don't have some of the supports I'm talking about now, which is very possible, like I said, I'm, I'm super lucky here, but um, I would find some people who are talking frequently about you know, what it is that they do, how they got there, who are in a position that you want to be in someday and just let them be your new role, role model. Um, let them be your new friend, even if they've never met you before. So, um, and I still do that a ton. I, I listen a ton to podcasts and I, I read a lot because the reason I was saying for having a mentor is that they change your mind and they make you realize that you were just not thinking necessarily in the way that you need to think to make X happen. And books can change your mind the same way that a mentor you speak to does. Um, I'd encourage you just to find companionship through media, podcasts, books, movies, which a lot of people do. Yeah. What I'm also hearing from that is uh, just the value of being open-minded and being open to having your mind changed. Yeah, once you get your mind changed once, it then becomes easier to start seeing that your mind should be changed multiple times. And I mentioned earlier the step-by-step growth progress, which is like you're flat and then you have a big step up, which is usually a simple, simple insight. That simple insight uh, is usually because you're wrong about the way you're viewing something. Right, right. Uh, So where do you go right now to get information? What type of content you just mentioned podcasts and books mm-hmm. but can you be a little more specific about what type of stuff you can you consume yeah the way i would answer that is i feel like i've gone through a progression of consuming content and i don't really want to give as much about what i'm consuming now because i think it's almost like the historical build up to now that is necessary for people like you kind of have to like slowly fall through the layers like deeper and deeper so like right now i'm reading the black swan by nick nasim taleb and it's like so in dense it's like not worth picking up now i started on like if you're starting out i started with like the pretty like typical suspects i suppose um you know tim ferris's interviews have been amazing seth godin's stuff has just been incredible i've read every single book he's ever written probably um listened to almost all of his podcasts yeah, I listen to a lot of different interview shows. Um, I've been digging through like all of Howard Stern's interviews. Um, so I would like start more on like the outside circle. And then I think you can gradually like go deeper and deeper where it's like once you've started to find Seth Godin and then you get through like Tim Ferriss stuff. And I think Tony, Tony Robbins has some great stuff. Then you can go down layers and layers. And now you're like finding some who they were reading and like um, – Maybe you want just a more direct answer there. But yeah, I, I guess like <laughs> I feel like some of the stuff I'm reading now, it's like you you want to get there after you've started at the high level. And then once you've read every Seth Godin book, then then this is like literally what I'm doing. It's like I read every Seth Godin book. I try to read every one of his blog posts. I watch every interview, every talk possible. Then it's like, what's that one weird book 
that he mentioned. Like I just read Pattern Recognition, which mm-hmm. is like there's like I think there's a quote from that book, which like uh, actually has the name of his previous company, Yo-Yo Dine. So like I'm making weird connections where I'm like, he said he liked this book, Pattern Recognition. There's a word in that book that he actually named a company after, and like then you're going deep on um, a subject, I suppose. Right. Right. So start, um, yeah, start with the the main kind of like. There's a reason there's like these huge iconic people. Start with devouring all their stuff. Gary Vaynerchuk, um, see all the different perspectives, and then you can start going in depth and get to the weirder stuff like the Art of Possibility, Pattern Recognition, The Gift by Lewis Hyde, like all the weird stuff. And do you think you're getting a lot of the, the information where you're learning and growing from sort of recorded? media like books like podcasts or do you get a lot of information from uh talking with people one-on-one doing phone calls or meeting up in person i develop my own knowledge through talking with people directly and i get new ideas for shaping my knowledge from books and podcasts that's a very succinct answer (laughs) (laughs) that was awesome um cool so I have a couple of rapid fire questions I want to get to uh, before we wrap things up. Let's but um, with with your mentors, and I know you've talked about this in the past in terms of advice and taking advice from people. What is some bad advice that you've received? <sighs> I think there's a lot. I think um, so. My my advice on advice is that you should always filter it through your own decision-making progress. So never take anybody's advice just because they tell you something, even if they have a lot more experience. Bad advice, uh, raise money, um, sell the company was bad advice. I think, um, I think, I think both of those things, I think raising money and selling the company were both, ideas that were very alluring that ultimately were not the right decision and for obvious reasons there's a lot of those voices around so yeah yeah, i think when people said like oh yeah like you should have you talked to this investor have you raised money for this like that's an entirely different path that i said no to where advice was given I mean, the same goes for selling your company. Like, and that's actually like, this is a great example because only you know whether it's right or not to do that, but it's really easy to get advice there on, on both sides of that topic. You've also said before that um, you don't take advice from people who aren't where you want to go or haven't been where you want to go. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah, I probably would um, disagree with myself at this point. I think... I'm so open now to advice from anybody. I want to talk to like an 11 year old about what apps they're using, about like what they think, like maybe some kid's going to be like, you shouldn't sell your company because you started it because you dreamed about it. And you're like, oh yeah, he did remind me that I dreamed about this. And like, so now I would disagree with myself. I think I did say that. Um, and I'd say, I'm going to take advice from everybody, but there is going to be, and I'm, I'm actually working on growing this as a skill for myself filtering that advice and saying this is new information should i absorb that into my decision making or should i reject it and say like new information great is it what i need nope toss it in the trash Mm -hmm. can Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. actually that falls right into my next question that i was going to ask which is is there any advice that you've given that in looking back you think is bad advice 
Um, it's here's a vulnerable thing to say on the podcast. I'm if I'm you and I'm listening to the David Cherry first four years podcast, I should be you should be filtering out what I'm saying and deciding if it works for you or not. So I'm here to provide information. Uh, it's very possible I'll grow to the next step next year and recognize again that there's advice that I've given that is wrong. Um, so please be a discerning listener of this show. Uh, and, and hopefully I, I try not to give one size fits all advice. Hopefully I can just provide, uh, I, I love how Seth Godin says this, he's going to turn a light on and provide you with new information or a new perspective. So hopefully my advice is always just like, oh, here's a new light. Uh, that's turned on. And if that assists you in your path, uh, use it. If not, um, don't worry about it. I love it. I love it. Um, what, what ideas, love it. (laughs) (laughs) What, what ideas are you geeking out on right now? Oh man, I'm going so deep into, I'm finally for the first time and maybe I'll change my mind in a year, but like, I feel like I'm understanding two things that are really critical. The first is how a subscription service works. I'm really getting into this idea of like the structural components, the framework, the rules of how subscription services work. Because once you see from like this super zoomed out view, how it works, then you're like, I can break these. I understand what elements I need. So really geeking out on subscription services and how they work. Uh, Really also geeking out on how creators can make a living and what the business models are there because I think that's something that's changing a lot. Um, And so, yeah, I'd say I'm kind of like, I'm geeking out on like the frameworks for how things function as related to the types of industries I'm in. So I wanna understand like, you know, how did podcasts start? What's the model for which they first started? Uh, where is it going? Like the, the structure of these things to me is very interesting. When you think about creatives and making it as a creative, um, sort of like how you just mentioned, what do you think is the proportion between just the pure merit of somebody's work versus needing to be super intentional about say marketing or branding or whatever you think is part of that formula. What, what do you think is part of that formula for succeeding as an artist or a creative today? So it's like how much should the work speak for itself versus how much should you like be able to bullshit your way into like getting a project and stuff like that? Not bullshit not in sure. that way, but like, um, you know, just through marketing or hype or whatever. Right. Right. And maybe say it in another way can just the pure, should artists focus just on the pure merit and quality of their work? Will that get them to where they want to go? No, because the distribution channel, the way you interact with people, uh, the way you talk about what you do is a part of the work. And so I think people can get really focused on um, something really specific like this like piece of art that they're creating. And occasionally that can break through on its own but I think it's all the elements that surround it that are actually a piece of that same puzzle. And so it's not just that you can make the best coffee ever made. It's can you have a a barista that serves it in a way that helps people feel like it was a good decision to buy. It's um, the sign out front. It's um, the music that you're playing. So like, I think just focusing on the product, like if it was a cup of coffee does get you far, but 
here's the reality. The best product doesn't win. You know, Starbucks isn't the best coffee product, but it's 10,000 stores or whatever. Um, and that depends on what you want to do as well. But I'd say it's very rare that the best product wins. It's almost always the case that the, uh, the most well-crafted and packaged product goes farthest. So if I'm an artist and I'm, I just, all I want to do is spend time making this thing and I want to, it's all I want to spend my time doing, but I also want to be successful. And I also want this to sustain me. Like, what do you, what do you say to me? Uh, I think that's the wrong mentality. And I think you can paint if you want to make a painting every day and that's all you want to do, please do that and enjoy doing that. But thinking that that is going to fulfill all of your needs is not the right choice and rarely if ever works. And so, um, yeah, I mean, to be blunt, I'd say, I just don't think that's going to work, but you, I mean, but there's so much, I don't know. There's like so much else that's interesting out there. Like, don't you want to create art from how you interact with your customers? Like, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I just think there's a lot of interesting stuff that surrounds that too. And like, it's very comfortable to be in your room at, you know, late at night painting, but I think there's also like interesting elements that can surround it too. And if you can fall in love with that piece, then you can have all your dreams. Like then you can make your art and sell it and make a living. Uh, it just, I just don't think it works if you just focus on like that, you know, focused. I think there's a lot of growth that happens there too, right? When you, when you go and you meet more people and get more perspective, whether you're selling your art, whether you're just talking about yourself, um, I think there's a lot of personal growth that happens there. Yeah, widen your scope for possibility, you know? Like, I almost think you're like, well, what if I could just like make this one type of painting and like make a million dollars a year doing it? Like, that's a great goal, but what if your goal is like, what if I could make these paintings but also open six galleries and like have a food company that caters them? And I don't know, I feel like you can widen the scope there of possibility and it's gonna meet all the needs you're hoping the one thing did, but also more. How have you grown in the last oh, man. Let's call it year? Oh man, I, okay. <laughs> I, this is too much to even talk about, but I think I, what I will do is I'll say the biggest thing I've changed over the past year, uh, I mean, there's just so much, but uh, for sure it's my relationship to work. Um, how am I approaching my work every day? How am I, what's the perspective for which I'm bringing to the table? The simplest way of putting where it was and where it is now is I was approaching it from a place of trying to do the right thing and trying to um, make things happen from slightly a, a place of stress and fear to now I'm just doing and um, I'm developing. So in, instead of trying to be and trying to make things happen, now I'm being and developing. I think that's like hopefully a succinct way of kind of putting that. That takes a long time to develop. It takes a lot of uh, recognizing your own stress and becoming aware to develop. But I had to detach myself a bit from my work because I was almost just like trying too hard and like pushing, but like not really getting the results I wanted. Instead, I was able to now kind of back off a little bit more and take action um, more from that mindset I talked about where you're like not feeling the fear of money and everything like that from like a calmer place of like, okay, this is my intention and I'm going to take action on that today. Hmm. I'm only going to ask you one more question. And so, uh, that's going to be, 
is there anything I haven't asked you wish that I had asked that you want to share? But before I get there, I just wanted to say, you know, since we've known each other for such a long time, I just think back to, well, I think it was like 2014 and maybe into 2015, <laughs> we would have like our, our oh, regular, geez. our regular, uh, taco. Oh, taco yeah, yeah. And it was just like so necessary and so great because we were both, I was just starting a company at the time, uh, and we were struggling, like growing, and and we were eventually uh, acquired, which is cool. But you were early on in this journey, and it was just so nice to point you mentioned earlier to have friends or a friend that you go and you you're you're near, and oftentimes like we didn't even talk about that type of stuff. It was just it was just enough. I feel like you were like we were like grumpy, or like I feel like we'd yeah. like sit down and eat tacos, or just like. Uh, I just can't make this thing work that I want to work. Like it was kind of like a diva situation for both of us, but it's so necessary. It was just like enough to know that you were both in the same shit. Yeah. And yeah. You didn't have to talk about it. It's just like you get it, I get it. It's nice to know that you get it and that I don't have to talk about it, but it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a stress eating situation. No, yeah, thank you for uh, the friendship and community and encouragement and everything like that too. And uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate all those all those moments. So I'll transition that into what you asked, which is like something else to discuss or kind of bring up. Um, and I think it's like the first thing is that you can you can do it your own way and you can create something for yourself sort of out of thin air. Like what you do today, what I do today, it's like completely invented. Like this job is invented. Um, and a lot of that starts from just deciding to do something before somebody tells you to do it or before somebody picks you to do it. So to start the podcast, I just told myself one day I'm starting a podcast. And I know this sounds like a really simple idea, but like everybody out there has that opportunity. Everybody who's listening right now, you can decide for yourself nobody else, no one else is going to pick you that you're going to do a thing and it can be unique. It can be yours. You can break rules. You can like, I just feel like there's so much kind of structure and, and dogma and rules that we follow, but you can always just decide to like do something different. So I think that's um, what I'd say I want to bring up because I think that's my message. That's sort of the through line through everything I do is I want people to understand that and take action um, and circling that back around to what you said, having other people who encourage that action understand that you might try something weird and then encourage that is huge. Um, and, you know, so for you, I know there's some events and stuff like that you want to run and they're not traditional events. It's something totally new. You're like, what if this event was like, you know, this and this is how it runs. And it's like, nobody's ever done this before. And I hope that I'm always someone who's like encouraging of that. I'm like, yeah, try it. Like who cares that it's never been done before? Why don't you just see what happens? And so I think first understand your opportunity and your own power in just deciding for you that you're gonna make a thing. Uh, I hope that's what you get from the podcast. I hope that Death the Stock helps you realize that and take action on it through the resources and education we provide. Um, and to, to be able to do that, I hope you find some people in your community and friends who encourage it. Cool, dude. Well, thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for being open. Thanks for having me back on here. I love doing this. Dude, yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, so I'm going to give a quick like Cluster J for, for <laughs> helping interview. That that was a blast. Um, thank you so much. You can uh, email me at david at the first four years.com. That's the number four. 
Jay has a company called Unreal Collective. Uh, Jay, where can they find your daily newsletter, which provides uh, a lot of insight? I read it. Um, we can link it up. Um, where can they find you, Jay? Oh, man, so generous. Um, you can just go to jayklaus.com, J-A-Y-C-L-O-U-S-E.com, and we'll link it. Um, but yeah, I've been writing a daily newsletter since March, and it's been, a, it's been a trip. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, Jay is someone who has uh, done that. He decided one day he's going to start a company. He decided one day he was going to do a daily newsletter. Um, and both of those, you know, he leaped and did that this year and is doing it full time this year. So uh, I would follow along with his work just because it's, it's another great example of somebody sharing stuff day to day, what it's really like. Um, so yeah, let's, let's conclude with that and I'll, I'll do my typical sign off. But uh, Jay, you just want to say, see ya? Yep. Thanks guys. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. All right, cool. I'll be back very soon with a new episode. Talk to you later.